Money FM 89.3, best of the breakfast huddle. The week ahead with CNBC on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's The Breakfast Huddle. Elliot Danker, Bharati Jagdish and Ryan Huang with you. It's time now to catch up with our friends from CNBC to zoom in on what's on the radar for investors. This morning, we're catching up with CNBC's Matt Taylor. Matt, good morning. How are you? Very well, thanks. Hope you all are too. Not too bad, sir. It's been a while. Uh, I suppose let's start off by taking a look at how markets are setting up this week. Um, it looks like the talk about inflation and rising prices, that's there. Plus, last week we had a big jump in US producer price index numbers. What are we expecting this week? What will it mean for markets and, of course, the Fed? Absolutely. Well, there's talk about inflation, of course, not going away. It seems as though uh, every time we talk and we try and discuss what's coming up for the market in the week ahead, of course, inflation is front and centre. But you're right, we are going to be watching for key consumer price data later on this week. And why is that important? Because if prices are too high, it might mean that the Federal Reserve is going to have to start its taper program sooner rather than later and that rates perhaps may rise, of course, sooner rather than later as well. But in terms of what's really been dogging the markets, these concerns around inflation, of course, we know that central banks have been saying that these price spikes that we've been seeing are only temporary or transitory and that they're not really in any rush to, of course, reduce some of the monetary policy easing that's on the table at the moment. But it's been now several months where we've seen prices at elevated levels, and that was perhaps one reason why we did see other markets, particularly in the US at the end of last week, weaker. For the week, we saw a decline for the Dow of about 2.2%, 1.7% for the S&P 500 and 1.6% for the NASDAQ. But you're right, we did see those August producer price numbers released on Friday, rising by 8.3% on a year-on-year basis, 0.7% month-on-month. And that was faster than economists had been expecting. If you look at the year-on-year number, uh, that was the highest level in more than a decade that we've seen print on producer prices. For those people out there that might not be aware of what producer prices are, uh, this is wholesale prices. So uh, what people might buy, if you're a retailer, uh, the price that you pay to a supplier uh, that provides you, say, for instance, with food products. So it's not the price that we all pay, consumer prices, but it's uh, the wholesale level. And uh, leading to that big jump in producer prices was an 11% surge in poultry prices over the month. So clearly people want some chicken or some KFC or something like that. But this week, we do, of course, have the consumer price index. This is what we all pay at the shops. It's been uh, sitting at multi-year highs over the last few months. We're expecting to see that print at 5.3% in the month of August. That will be down from 5.4% in July, but it's still going to be strong. We know that there's been weakness in the labour market, but inflationary pressures still remain. We didn't see any clues of the U.S. Federal Reserve, the central bank, they're tapering its asset buying program. That big Jackson Hole meeting just a couple of weeks ago, there's a Fed meeting coming up in a couple of weeks for the month of September. Unlikely that we're going to see anything there. But again, if we see strong inflation numbers this week, if there's perhaps an upside surprise, it may mean that there is greater urgency for the Fed to normalise its policy. So that's what the markets essentially will be watching out for this week when it comes to the United States. 
Now, Matt, amid all of this, we also have China data on tap this week, including retail sales, industrial output. Give us a preview. I mean, what's in focus in the Chinese markets? Well, this is also important because the Chinese economy has been showing some really mixed signs lately. There have been some strong data points, which suggests that the recovery there is still on track. But there have been some other points, uh, data points, which have showed that the recovery in China is really slowing in a number of economists that I speak to each and every day have suggested that we've passed peak growth in China and that there may need to be some sort of support from policymakers there. We already got uh, a triple R cut. This is a cut to the reserve ratio requirement. Uh, in, a, in the last uh, couple of months or so, and basically this frees up more liquidity in the banking system. So there is some suggestion that we may see more of those kind of measures going forward to essentially mean that there's more money sloshing around the Chinese economy. But this week, we do have retail sales. Uh, later on this week, Wednesday, expected to rise by 7% in August. Uh, on a year ago, industrial production up by about 5.8%. Those numbers are coming off of the recent highs that we've seen. So again, if those numbers, uh, those expectations are realized, we will see a further moderation in Chinese economic activity. We had some really weak manufacturing data in the last week or so. But then last week, we got these really strong trade numbers out of China. So this presents, again, another conundrum, if you want to call it that, for policymakers in China. Is the economy slowing down? Does it require further policy support? So these numbers will be very important for investors to watch this week just to get a sense of, of what people in China, what authorities in China are going to do. But it's also coupled with this increased regulatory oversight that we see in China as well. And of course, just last week, we saw some hefty falls for some of the big Chinese tech companies that are listed in Hong Kong, uh, particularly on Thursday, some big declines, uh, 8, 9, 10% for some of those big Chinese uh, listed names, names like Tencent and the like. And this was all because uh, we saw increased scrutiny on what's happening with respect to video games, Beijing stipulating that under-18s could only play video games for a maximum of three hours every week at designated times between 8pm and 9pm on Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, so again, this is another, another issue kind of dogging investor sentiment when it comes to China. What are regulators going to do? I know that investors are watching this very closely. I imagine parents are as well, probably quite happy that rules are coming out limiting how and how long under 18 can play video games for. We're joining CNBC's Matt Taylor. Matt, now let's turn attention down under and Australia is struggling to keep the lid on the rising number of COVID-19 cases. In fact, on Saturday, it broke above 2,000 daily infections for the first time. We've got Sydney and Melbourne under lockdown and it looks like it'll stay that way until we get 70% of the country fully vaccinated. Where are we when it comes to Australia's economy under risk of falling to a second recession? Right. Well, that's interesting uh, because we've had the Reserve Bank uh, just in the last week or so. There was some expectation there. It's already begun that process of normalising policy that it might actually reverse course on that, given that we do have a number of uh, the largest, most heavily populated parts of Australia under lockdown. So you can imagine the impact that that has on uh, those particular economies. But the Reserve Bank essentially stayed core. It already announced a taper. It said it is going to maintain that small taper that it, that it did announce a couple of months ago, but it's not going to review that, i.e. taper further until we get into next year, uh, into February. But you're right when it comes to the number of cases. 
on Saturday in the state of New South Wales, 1,599. Uh, we saw that drop back yesterday, but then we've had more than 400 cases reported in the state of Victoria today. Vaccination, as we know, has been particularly slow in Australia, but things really are ramping up now, and that's what authorities and policymakers are turning their attention to there. Still only small numbers. When you look at the total population of Australia, only about 30% or so, a bit above 30% is the latest number, have received both doses of the vaccine. Uh, but the Prime Minister announcing over the weekend that the Australian government has sourced another 1 million Moderna vaccines from Europe. It's been engaged, engaging in these vaccine swap arrangements where countries that have excess vaccine, it's getting those in. And then when Australia has an excess stockpile, it will send the vaccines back to these countries. In fact, Singapore sent some vaccine to Australia uh, as well. But I think the lockdowns have been going on there for so long now and people are being particularly weary just over at the weekend. Like we did here in Singapore, I'm a little bit sunburnt today after my <laughs> long cycle at the weekend. Very nice weather in Australia, which is coming out of winter and thousands of people flocking to uh, Bondi Beach, uh, just one of the main beaches that was crowded. So that's now forced authorities to close a lot of the beaches in parts of Australia and in Sydney to prevent people from going out and, of course, concern about, of course, social distancing measures as well. All right, thanks for the quick update. We've been speaking with CNBC's Matt Taylor. Matt, thanks again. You take care and stay safe, yeah? Thank you, you too. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.